All right, we are back. Episode <laughs> back. nine. <laughs> this is probably my most. Uh, this is going to be my most favourite podcast so far because it's a topic that interests me a lot. So today we've got a very special guest, but we're going to cover some of the essential information that you need to gain muscle. How to gain muscle? More from a training perspective today than a nutrition perspective. I think we'll cover that in another episode. But who better to join us than one of Australia's best strength and conditioning coaches? We've got David Young from the New South Wales Institute of Sport, or NSWIS. But you've also been at the English Institute of Sport. Yeah, that's great. Um, you worked on the Sports Council in Wales. Yeah. Um, and you're working with some of Australia's best athletes, Olympic athletes. Um, pretty, pretty impressive resume. Yeah. What, um, what made you get into strength and conditioning as a coach? Oh, I guess from a relatively early age, I had an interest in both sport and, and strength training. Yeah. And um, I guess as I went through uni and started sort of developing knowledge, I, I decided this was an area I wanted to go into. And um, I was fortunate to get some good breaks along the way early in my career. And yeah. here I am now, sort of strength and conditioning coach for 16 years, full-time role, and worked across three different organisations and lots of different sports. How long have you been at NSWIS for? Um, almost 11 years. It'll be 11 years beginning of July. Yeah. So um, you would have worked some, with some high-profile Australian athletes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so you're, are you concentrating on any particular sport at the moment, or are you working across a broad range down there at NSWIS? So um, this Olympic cycle, since late 2016, I've been working at the National Training Centre for the Australian women's rowing team um, out in Penrith. Um, so we've got a, we had a change of model with rowing in Australia where we went to a centralised system. Um, mm. So the men are based in Canberra, the women are based in Penrith and I've been working with them since. So we've got 25 girls training day in, day out there. Jeez, that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> Rowers are, are some of the best athletes on the planet. They're, yeah. they're cardiovascular and their strength, like their strength and conditioning is, I, I would put it up there with, with any other sport. Um, in the world as far as elite level strength and conditioning. Yeah, and I think I so think they're some of the hardest working athletes in the world, yeah. like, like huge volumes of training, like the girls do 16 sessions a week yep. on a heavy week and, you know, that's and pretty hard work. Australia like. does pretty well in the rowing as well. So Yeah, yeah, have done over yeah. the years for sure. Yeah. Well you, well, you do have an impressive resume. Today's going to be sort of not focused on any sport in particular but more around sort of gaining muscle. So that might be for your chosen sport. You might just be a footy player on the weekend, a young guy that needs to put on a bit of muscle muscle mass to play in a certain position or you could just be a casual at the gym and you want to put on a bit of muscle to uh, to a, attract the ladies or the men or whatever it is, whatever you in, you're into. And, yeah, we always talk about, you know, the three elements um, when it comes to sports, um, you know, your, your physical um, conditioning and things like that and then, you know, your, your, um, your technique and then your mental game. So, you know, we've actually touched on technique and mentality recently. So let's, you know, dive into the physical stuff today. Yeah. Look, for, as, as far as training for muscle game, it, it is very different for than training for strength and also training for power or explosivity. Mm-hmm. Explosivity? Is that a word? Did I say that it's right? A wo- it's a word now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a word now. So, um, yeah, muscle gain, does it always, does strength always mean muscle gain? And does muscle gain always mean that you're stronger? Oh, it's a good, interesting question, a good question. Not not necessarily, I think, is the answer. So what we do know is that we know um, your sort of physiological cross-sectional area of a muscle is related to your ability to produce force. Mm. So there is a relationship there, but that's kind of only one half of the, the sort of scenario. We have a nervous system factors that can allow us to recruit more motor units and exert more force. So sure, having more muscle should be stronger, but we need to develop the nervous system as well. And that's what we tend to do with our lower rep stuff when we do maximal strength training mm-hmm. or power training when we're moving things with speed. Mm. And with hypertrophy training, we've got a specific aim to sort of try just gain mass. And that means we just train slightly differently. Yeah. So it's not specifically about gaining more muscle. Sometimes it's more about your brain being better connected to the muscle. That's right. So yeah. you've got your central drive or mm. you've got your, your rate coding down the nerve or the ability to sort of fire those motor units in the muscle yeah. um, to maybe take away some of the inhibition that you might have in opposite muscles that are sort of looking after you and making sure you don't get injured. Um, So there's quite a few factors in there with regards to the nervous system as well. Mm. In regards to the nervous system, is is that a genetic thing or is that something you can actually coach and train or work on yourself? Like is there there a way to teach an athlete that, that neuromuscular connection? 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That's something that's definitely a trainable factor. So that's um, just by, I mean, there's three ways really to drive that. Um, one, you've got to lift a heavy load. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be to lift a moderate load, but with speed and intent to move it fast. And the third one, which we probably will touch on today with the hypertrophy training, is by taking a, um, by working to failure. So you're recruiting all of your muscle fibers. So okay. So three ways, yeah. Yeah, and you know, uh, a lot of guys, when they jump into the gym, that's their default mode, just train to failure. But um, mm, you know, um, with a well-structured um, tra- strength and conditioning program, you know, sometimes you got to be a bit more wise about managing your loads and that's right. and yeah. things like that. And you see it in the gym as well. There's a lot of guys go in there and, and and sort of they're just trying to lift as heavy as possible without actually trying to squeeze the muscle group or focus on the muscle group that you're actually training and recruit the the correct muscle fibers. So over time, it can sort of be wearing on joints and all that sort of thing, and can lead to injuries. So yeah, it, it, that that mind muscle connection that you brought up is is definitely super important um, aspect of, of hypertrophy or muscle muscle building training. Mm. Yeah. What about in powerlifting, Duran? Do you um, is that mind muscle connection as important? It's super important. You know, yeah. um, if you look at some of the strongest powerlifters in the world, they don't necessarily look like some of the strongest guys in the world. You know, um, but how they're so strong is because they have this better connected. Um, you know, their brain is better connected than muscle through this. Um, neuromuscular adaptations uh, it's an interesting point that you bring up as well because I've, I've been following lately a guy probably everyone in the fitness community knows is lane norton hmm. he he was sort of an ex-bodybuilder and did really well um and then crossed over to powerlifting and you can actually see he's obviously become a hell of a lot stronger since he's started powerlifting but he's actually like his his muscularity in his legs and everything is not he doesn't carry as much muscle is what he used to do when he was bodybuilding. Mm. So he, although he's a lot stronger and more powerful, he's nowhere near as muscular as what he was. Yeah, and so you, it's a different style of training for a different purpose. And you do see some of these bodybuilder guys that really don't have this, um, you know, the strength um, that you might think that they have. And it's, you know, the age-old question, is it better to be stronger than you look or is it better to, be, <laughs> to look stronger than you are? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess it depends on the reason why you're, why you're doing it. Yeah. But I, I think most guys that want to get big, they also want to be strong as yeah. well. Yeah. So I think strength is, is definitely part of it. And so, I, think, I think certainly in a sport, if we talk in a sporting context, like just having mass without like being able to produce force with it, and express that express that force is probably not that useful most of the time. No, yeah. maybe maybe on a front row or, or something like that where you just mess is momentum. Or mm. but um, I think most of the time you want to be able to have functional strength, functional yeah. functional mass. Yeah. yeah. So probably age old question and probably a question that a lot of people ask when they're first getting into training type of training program. So you see different types of training program. Like probably the most common when you first get into training is I get in there and I train my whole body do a full body workout and i mean i did that when i first started training i was doing full body workouts like five six days a week like an idiot would when you're first training um and then you've got your sort of your split split um, routines where you might just focus on one or two body parts and then you've got sort of like push pull routines Mm -hmm. is there any preference that you have or you recommend for someone looking to gain muscle um I think the it depends how much time they can dedicate to training. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, so I, I think if someone's only really able to lift three times a week, mm-hmm. and say it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, Thursday, Saturday, or something like that, for me the the preference would still probably be to do three whole body workouts. Yeah. Probably wanting to train each body part two to three times a week, which I yep. know is against a little bit of bodybuilding principles in, in historically where mm. might, people might train only one part. But then a, as your number of days go up probably then start splitting it up a little bit so i think if you're if you're doing two successive days it's probably best to split it and whether that's doing an upper lower body or like you said a push pull or even a a strength speed Mm. variation way of mixing up there so i've got um at the moment with the athletes i work with um most of them lift three times a week but Mm -hmm. we've got a we've got a group of about half a dozen girls who lift four times a week so what we do with them we do a a a lower body monday and upper body tuesday and then full body thursday and saturday so we still train each body part three times a week but that just allows us to get a bit more volume into their training by doing that yeah and and i guess it depends on your sport as well You, you you're probably working around skill training cardiovascular training hmm. plus a game or competing on the weekend um, or you're just the guy in the gym that's yeah. able just to train four or five days a week without any game or competing on the weekend so it will it will dif- differ yeah. um, 
But as far as like the frequency of training, like mm. if you do have all the time in the world and you don't compete in any sport, I mean, I started doing like six days a week mm. and I soon realized that was far too much for me. Is, is there a sort of a general guideline or recommendation for for how much, how many times you can lift in a week? Obviously, we uh, need yeah. to think about nervous system override. Right. I, think, I think you just have to be smart the way you sort of... Um, what do you call program it? Yeah, you yeah. program it. So you, like you could lift twice a day, yep. you know. And, and mm. a lot of people, you lift in the morning or before work and after work, and target in different muscle groups. I mean, I certainly don't think you can go six days a week and then train to failure in every set you do because yeah. you'll cook yourself pretty yeah. quick if you do that. But um, I think just looking at what you've got in your schedule, what other training you've got, um, how much time you've got. So I mean, one of the key thing that relates to um, between gains to the um, training is volume mm-hmm. so obviously the more sessions you do it's a way of building mm. volume but by spreading it out you can also give some recovery so yeah. um, I would say three to five days a week is probably sensible but I'm sure bodybuilders are lifting more than that for sure yeah. so yeah, probably yeah, just, five six days a week bodybuilders spli- yeah. splitting up the muscle group so they're only working one muscle group yeah. once a week well there's you know many bodybuilders do it in many different ways as well so you know i think it comes back to the principles a lot of them focus on the compound trainings we try to recruit as many as possible as many muscles as possible and then you know kind of then 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 get onto the isolation stuff closer to um you know trying to um get these specific muscle groups yeah the isolation stuff's a lot less stressful on your system as a whole so like that stuff that's one of the reasons they do break it up but um yeah, I'm still a believer for certainly for athletes, but for most populations, the compound exercises just yeah. still form the the key part of your program with the your isolation sort of single joint movements being sort of the supplementary to that. So. And, and also that um, you know that neuromuscular connection you talked on, you know, with the compound lift, there's so many elements that um, come into play. You know, compare a squat to a bicep curl. Yeah. Um, this uh, you know this co- all this coordination and um, you know balance and things like that that come into play a bit more sure so so we've sort of figured out how many times a week does this differ like as we age like me being 75 years old <laughs> can i should i still be training four or five times a week i mean I, or, or are we are we looking to sort of back it off and listen to our bodies a bit more or can we I still mean, go hard up until yeah. a certain age like, well i think you just see how you cope really i don't right. know whether like for me like I'm in my forties now, and my ability to recover between sessions has definitely gone down. And yeah. I, I, I couldn't, like even me doing three whole body sessions a week, it's actually a challenge. And I, I tend to split one two and then do one whole body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that you get to a certain age and you've got to do that. You have to see how each person's how you're dealing with it. Some people yeah. maybe cope better. Everybody's as they get older, so different. different. Yeah. yeah. And, and it might just be you might probably the other thing is just gradually as you get older you might need just need to reduce the volume a little bit and you know like you said you probably mm. some of your your joints and things are wearing out a little bit so you might have to adapt your pro, your sort of exercise selection but there's always a way to train I think like certainly working with athletes who get injured you always find a way to train them when they're sort of yeah it's got certain restrictions on their training so, so we're speaking about volume. Break down what volume means to someone that might be listening that has no idea. What are we talking about when we say volume? So volume would be sort of your reps times your set. So it's actually really just the number of reps you do within a session. Yep. So so if you did four sets of 10 back squat, your volume would be 40 repetitions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so on volume, there's probably a few questions I have is um, let's probably start with the most common question, which is sets and reps mm-hmm. per exercise and then how many exercises per workout. So for, for <laughs> muscle building, it's going to be very different for strength and power, obviously, but for muscle building. So if we, um, if we looked at a standard sort of strength text or resistance training text, the numbers that you always see are 6 to 12 reps. Right. And that's for very good reasons because there's three main things we're trying to develop when we train for hypertrophy. One is muscular tension. We want enough tension to create sort of an adaptation. One is metabolic stress. So we want to create stress on the, the system. And the third one is a muscle damage. Mm. But muscle damage probably to a large extent is caused by the other two. So if we talk about um, mechanical tension, so that would be essentially the load that's on the bar. So mm. as we discussed a little bit earlier, if we tend to use lower reps for maximal strength work. But whilst that, for depending on the, the individual and how well trained they are, you might still get some muscle gain with doing, say, three or four reps, um, especially with anabolic 
individuals. I remember working with some sprinters in the past and they they blow out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, but not everyone's like that. Mm. And basically the, that, that sort of um, load on its own might not be enough to create muscle growth and yeah. that's where we talk about the metabolic stress now the metabolic the pump yeah the pump exactly or the <laughs> right. burn the burn yeah. as yeah. people yeah. like to yeah. talk about so but we could go to the park and do uh, run a 400 meters or do some repeat sprints that's going to give us a pretty yeah, your legs amount of metabolic burning. stress yeah. but mm. we're not going to get muscle mass from that yeah. so that on its own and we, we there's some research coming out now which has sort of been a bit different to what everyone thinks but you can as long as you go to failure you can actually lift as low as 30 percent of one rep max um, and still get gains but do we really want to do that many reps? So the, the reason why that 6 to 12 is used and it makes a lot of sense is because you get that nice balance between the load mm. and the metabolic stress where by doing those 6 to 12 reps is where you start to get your burn and stuff like that. So it's the combination of those two things. Or get out. Now, that is also why different sort of strategies and advanced strategies where maybe using eccentric repetitions mm. or lowering under under load in a slower manner you might be able to do that for five reps yeah. but the time under tension is, is so high. much higher. It's higher so yeah. it's going to give you a stimulus stress and it's the same reason why things like drop sets work and mm-hmm. and, and different variations so, so as, a, as a textbook answer six to twelve reps but really what we're trying to do is make sure we've got enough load and we're providing some metabolic stress in the process and, and talking about um load i guess you know you, you mentioned that volume is the key principle to build muscle but mm-hmm. sometimes uh you know, some, sometimes that has to come at the expense of intensity. And um, so, you know, by intensity, we mean how much weight you're lifting. You know, it's very hard to lift at your maximal um, a lot, right? So, um, you know, sometimes throughout a training program, you'll um, transition from a high volume to, um, you know, something like a high intensity with a lower volume, um, depending on your sport. And, and, and do you recommend that for sort of a periodization sort of thing? So maybe a, a beginner starting out might work in that sort of 10 to 12 rep range with a lighter weight and over time as they're more comfortable with the exercise, sort of increase the weight and lower the rep range till they're eventually working six to eight reps? Yeah. I, think, I think that's a, that's a sensible, sensible yep. strategy. Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. I think one of the... One of the things, I mean, for a beginner, like they should really adapt to anything. So I'd keep it pretty simple for them. And then as they sort of progress and develop, and like then you've got to start adding some different stimuli to make sure they're adapting. So that might be manipulating reps and sets and load. It might be manipulating exercises in time, maybe using some advanced strategies. So. Yeah. And, and we've previously talked about progressive overload on this podcast. And, you know, I guess all of these come into the picture of progressive overload. You know, you, still, you can overload with more reps with more weights with more sets oh there's a million different things you can do to create overload um another popular question that comes up and it's probably a question that people ask me a lot is how many how many exercises per workout so Mm. say you and and how long should that workout be they're probably the two questions i get the most yeah so the the length of workout i think i mean i try to keep Oh, my athletes will laugh at this, but I try to keep their session under an hour with regards to the main content of the session. Now, we, we have quite a, f- probably a 15-minute warm-up on top of that where they're trying to switch on some muscles, do a bit of mobility work and stuff. So I think <coughs> an hour's a good reason, a good length. We'd, I know some hormonal research suggests that we shouldn't really be going much more than that because it dies off. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things with research is so conflicting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And because like, you made a comment earlier... Um, like it's hard to how do you do research on all these different factors like oh, yeah. manipulate exercise or load or reps and sets and volume or you know it's just it's and so it, hard it's yeah, so yeah, hard yeah. and you know even when you're um, talking about things like strength I know we talk about building muscle but you know there's so many factors that come in you know even your mood can affect your strength and your music that's on can affect yeah. um, your mood so yeah but coming back to the exercises, I mean, that's a really interesting question. One, one um, really popular type of training with um, Olympic lifters over the years is something called um, German volume training, which mm. you've probably heard of. Right? Ten, 10 by 10. Yeah, yeah 10 yeah. by 10. And with normally only one exercise, normally a big fundamental lift like a squat, 10, 10 sets, 10 reps, one minute between sets, stop, pretty low load, at only 60% one rep max, you yeah. know, like that. That will be pretty easy for them for the first four or five sets yeah. and then it's and then pretty they're... brutal by the end you know? oh, yeah. and if you did that kind of training you're probably only doing a couple of extra supplementary exercises on top of that and, and you certainly wouldn't do 10 by 10 on those yeah. so it's not um, so much the number of exercises it's more the number of sort of sets or, or, or volume I think so So okay. a bodybuilder would probably take a slightly different approach now mm. they would probably do more exercises and target the muscles in, in different planes and different directions mm. um, and spread those 10 to say 15 sets 
across different exercises. So you might say for the chest, you might do a bench press for four sets of 10 or whatever, and then you might do some flies and you might do some incline, and then you might do some tricep work to finish. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's a bit of a fuzzy answer, I think, but what I'm trying to get across is that it's the you can use different methods, but it's the overall number of sets that's probably yeah. the important thing and the overall number of reps across the session. So uh, so we're looking at it sort of 10, 10 sets roughly uh, per, per body part or per... Yeah, 10 to 15, I'd yep. say, maybe a little bit more. I'm sure I, some build, bodybuilders I, doing once a week would do more than that. I think mm. I, I, my preference would still be to train each body part twice. So okay. it'd probably be, yeah, 10 to 15. So yeah. when you say train each body part twice, I mean, that I, that's recently come to light as, mm. as more effective but it's very hard for someone like myself who's training each body part once a week for, and I'm training four days a week it's hard to think how, how am I going to reschedule this and, and, and retrain myself <laughs> to, to train like that why why are you recommending hitting each body part twice a week yeah well that's, that's one of the, the balances we've got we've got all this anecdotal evidence yeah. from bodybuilders mm. over the years where they've it's worked for them so why change? Yep. And then you've got the the whole the other side of the thing with research, and we've, mm. we've spoken about the issues with research because it's just so hard to get well trained subjects. How are you going to do your study design and just yeah. small manipulations? But I think most of the evidence suggests twice a week, mm -hmm. um, at least twice a week. Um, so I, I would, and my, my gut feel is that that's still a preferential way of training. So I, I know, I'm sure there'll be bodybuilders listening who would disagree with what I'm saying there, but um, mm -hmm. that, that, um, if you listen to my opinion, I'd be saying it's the same for a yeah. specific muscle group at least twice a week, whether, whether that's spreading across um, doing three whole body sessions or the split session or however you want to do it, yeah. I think I'll listen to your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, uh, I guess um, you know, the answer to how many reps isn't, there's no blanket answer, right? No, it's no, by understanding this, the, the foundation principle of getting this volume in. And I guess, you know, twice a week is that good balance of volume and sufficient recovery. Yeah. So that's the sweet spot. Another thing I wanted to ask you so from, a, from a personal perspective, and these are probably all personal questions today, <laughs> but um, I used to start, I used to do a 15-minute warm-up mm -hmm. and then I'd launch straight into my heaviest compound exercise. So say I'm doing leg day. I used to sort of do a decent leg warm-up and then I'd jump straight into squats and I'm trying to lift maximal amount, um, sort of pyramiding up and potentially down depending on sort of what I'm doing. Um, but more, now what I found over the years is it took a, a large toll on joints um, and although I thought I was warmed up, I wasn't warmed up enough for those big heavy compound exercises so i've now shifted those big heavy compound exercises to a little bit later okay, in my workout routine it's a bit of a hit to the ego because you're obviously not lifting as heavy um but i'm finding my ability to perform the exercise i'm, I'm getting deeper into my squats my techniques better i feel more warmed up i feel less prone to injury is is does order of exercise matter well, yeah. Well, I think first of all, what you got to do is find what works for you. Yeah. Like you've mm. got you've got some real strong rationale with why you've changed your order there. So I, I would have no issues with that. But the, what you were saying to begin with, traditionally you'd start with your big compound movements. Like if you were going to have some explosive exercise in your program, you probably have those first. Yeah. Um, and then you'd have your big main key foundational exercises. So that would be your back squat or a deadlift or if you're upper body it'd probably be a pull up or a bench press yep. or something like that and then you would sort of progress to your less um less key exercises your supplementary exercises but um i think i mean well, i guess you could in your situation you could look at doing a maybe the warm-up wasn't sufficient as you mentioned maybe maybe you need to do a couple of light warm-up squat sets mm. before you move into your big sets and sometimes you only have to do like you might be doing eight squats, but in your warm-up session, you might only need to do two or three reps just to move through the range and get it moving with maybe 40%, 50% of the load you're going to use and progress it there. So I, I would still recommend your previous sort of strategy, but, mm. I mean, people have got to find what works right for them as well. So yeah. Yeah. you get sort of strong rationale for why you change that. So. And I guess, like, you know, the logic behind that is, um, well, traditionally, I guess, is, you know, you're trying to get the most bang for your buck out of your workout and, you know, these bigger compound and explosive movements tend to use a lot more energy, you know. It's sometimes for a lot of people, it's harder to do these at the end of a workout when you don't have this energy. Um, you know, obviously, you're a bit different because 
I guess maybe it's taking longer for you to to warm up to these. Um, I'm just old, mate. <laughs> maybe, maybe it never used to be an issue, but yeah. in the last few years it is. Yeah. I guess one one thing <laughs> it's, it's worth talking about though is that um, one of well, eight, an advanced training method for hypertrophy would be to pre-fatigue so yeah. pre-exhaustion. Mm. So you might do say a set of I don't know uh, step ups or like mm-hmm. extensions or whatever you Flanders might do before you do your yep. squats mm. um, and, and that's been I mean that, that's a bit more of a anecdotal thing that's been working for people over the years it's not really a great deal of research to support it um, but not saying it doesn't work either but um, that would be a way to try and recruit more motor units and get yeah. more muscle fibres r- recruited by fatiguing before you do the set so again there's there's yeah. the problem with strength training, you know. There's the, there's more than one part the, to the yeah, top yeah, of the mountain. Yeah. My, my, my first mentor always used to, and I've never heard the time and um, the term at the time. He's a Kiwi fella. He always said, "Oh, there's many ways to skin a cat," you know. Yeah. Obviously, but it's true. Like yeah, strength training, there's, there's like you, you've got to have um, strong foundational principles behind behind your programming. Yeah. But you can still apply those in many different ways. But I think don't be too tied to any one thought pattern either. Like yeah. what. What you think works might not be the ideal thing for you. Try everything and, and, and see what I works at the end of the day. Listen to everyone, obviously experts like yourself, take in that sort of knowledge mm. and just develop something that works for you. And like we mentioned earlier, as you become a more advanced trainer, you've done more, you need to give yourself some different stimuli to keep improving. Like mm. if you keep, like when you're a beginner, like you can keep pretty much training a very simple, three, you could do three by 10 and improve for probably three or four months and or just manipulate things slightly. But as you're more advanced and you've got five, 10, 15 years training under your belt, you can't just keep doing the same thing and, and yeah. expect and to get improvements. So what so. sort of things can you do? Because like, you get to a point where you sort of you, you hit a bit of a, if you're a natural athlete like myself, Darren, you hit a bit of a plateau and, and then you can fall into a bit of a trap of sort of, I don't know, just going through the motions. You can employ drop sets and yeah. things like the supersets and stuff like that. But after a while... I believe you can you, you can hit a natural sort of strength and size plateau for your genetics. Is, potentially is that true? But yep. Is I that mean, the case, st- or am I wrong there? Well, uh, I mean, you do have a genetic potential that is a limiter, like, yep. so whether you're actually there or not, I don't know how you're ever going to actually know that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I, I would if I was a bodybuilder or looking at mass, and I'd do most of my training around that six to twelve repetition range. I would def- for sure come down to some max strength work at some point, mm. try and push your max strength numbers up, then go back out to high volume, and you should be able to actually lift. If your max lower numbers go up, you should be able to hold more weight for more reps as well. Like there's so many different ways to play around with it. Um, so even if you are training for muscle gain, you are still recommending oh, I would definitely at times, incorporate. Yeah, that would be yeah. part of your training variation and manipulation. So, yeah. so how long should a sort of a, a muscle building program last? Like we're talking periodization here. First goal is to build muscle, 10 to 12 rep range. How long should I do that program for with all the same exercises? How long is a piece of strength? I know. I'm trying <laughs> to ask basic sort yeah. of introductory well, sort of questions mm. that went through my head when I first got into training. It's like, yeah. mm. how long should I be doing this same routine yeah. for before well, I, I think, change it up? I think the simple answer to that is you, you do that until you stop improving. So mm. until you I, I think one, one thought I had early in my career that you do it, you write a four-week block or a five-week block and then you feel like your next training block has to be different to that. Mm. But if, if, if people are still improving towards your end goals, then you shouldn't be changing it'll just stick with it and ride it out for a bit longer and so yeah Mil- once Mil- you stop improving like maybe maybe you do three lots of say 10 with a beginner and then after six weeks the numbers aren't going up the maybe not going to match maybe you just add an extra set mm-hmm. and that could be enough and you might be you might do that in half your exercises and then you might add it to the other half and then you could add another set for your main exercises and then maybe you just um, manipulate your reps a little bit bring it down or go up or you Add a drop set in, or you mm. do some slow eccentrics. Um, yeah, I guess lots so of ways. Really so many yeah. ways, and I mean, I guess that's part of what we're trying to do today. We're just trying to open people's eyes to some some options that they have exactly. available to them. Yeah. So I guess it comes back to those three principles. You know, if you remember, you know, about the the mechanical tension, you know, the volume and things like that, the metabolic stress, and the muscle damage. If you can incorporate those three principles. Then um, you know, understanding this will allow you to manipulate your your own training and experiment a bit more. Because you know, a lot of it comes back to self experimentation. What works for you might not work for me. So, um, but understanding the key concepts, concepts, the key principles, um, can kind of you know apply to everything and kind of make you understand why you're doing different things. And 
maybe make you uh, experiment more wisely. <laughs> so we talk about muscle damage. Uh, another common question I get is, um, should I be training if I'm sh- training a body part if it's still sore? And especially sort of training maybe twice a week. Yeah. If I've hit the bench fairly hard early on in the week, I've got a sore chest, oh, guess what? That day is now rolled around where I need to train chest again. It's still a bit sore. Should I be training it? I think you still can. Yep. I think you might just have to... Warm up properly. Yeah, warm yeah. up. Your loads mm. might be lower or you might have to... I mean, I, I think one thing that when you're sore, the worst thing you can do is sit around doing nothing. I, mm. I found like you, you've got to get moving and like... Because basically you just got to build up of um, sort of inflammation in the in the muscle and you've got sort of muscle damage and you you got all your, your body's trying to fix that up and we're trying to hopefully get some protein synthesis, which is going to be what drives again your muscle mass so we need to sort of move that liquid away from the air and the inflammation away and the best way to do that is move so i wouldn't have a major issue with people lifting on soreness yep Mm. um but you just just have to be sensible and like your range might be reduced and yeah yeah, and the load might be a little bit less but i still think you can do it and and once you become accustomed to it to a certain extent you the amount of soreness you get from session to session should be reduced it's just that that first hit maybe with a new exercise or if you haven't trained for a couple of weeks Jim, jim's reopening yeah, up yeah i'm sure there's lots of people sore at the moment yeah, yeah. <laughs> i asked the question there's gonna be a I lot love, of sore people out there i just love the feeling of soreness you know like it feels like uh, i feel like odd if i'm not sore in any muscles at any time and, and and it's probably a question that's come up before i think one of the listener questions it, if you get to the end of a work or like the next day or the day after, if you're not sore, does it mean, like I know the answer to this, but does it mean that that exercise just did nothing? Like should people be aiming for soreness out of every workout? Oh, not necessarily. No. no. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and look, when it gets to the point where you do hit these plateaus or you might be feeling a bit run down, do you ever recommend like a deload week or do you recommend a week off here and there? And how often should we be taking time off oh for sure and that's probably actually that's a good question because i think that would be the your standard gym user probably wouldn't really consider that but yeah mm. certainly within our programs we'd we'd have a deload sort of strength week every probably four to five weeks depending on right. how we how we write the the training block and and how their sort of their sport training and their technical training and their their other training sort of their endurance work is written but yeah yeah it's just, and it doesn't necessarily mean having a whole week off but you might just drop a set or drop a couple of sets out of your key exercises just mm. give your body a little bit of time to regenerate and then then you can build back into it again so mm. i think a lot of people are scared like the young guys like they think more is better always so yeah. if they think oh, i'm going to take a week off i'm going to shrink yeah is that the case no yeah. no no, no. So, so what sometimes you just need to sort of t- taper it off or bring it back a little bit to be able to get that next mm-hmm. gain so actually that that's another sort of technique we probably didn't talk about with people who are plateauing maybe you just need to mm. sort of back off for a couple of weeks and then mm. go again maybe maybe especially people who are maybe some people always train to failure you know like that's not a great idea all yeah. the time so maybe that's a case you just manipulate that or sometimes you could have trained smarter not train harder you know <laughs> i think you learn that as you get older and with experience as well i know every every set every re- i was training to failure and now it's very rare i'll train to actual failure in a set yeah it's it's, it's always shy and that's Obviously, because I've introduced jujitsu four or five times a week, plus my weight training four times a week on top of that, if I was going to failure every session, I'd be a mess. Yeah, and there's actually like a, a few uh, few measures that um, you know strength and conditioning coaches have started um, implementing now, like um, RPE rate of per, um, perceived exertion. You know how tired is the set making you, and even reps in re- reserve. Mm-hmm. So like you know do a set of bicep curls with one or two reps in reserve, and it's kind of something that's e- easy to measure while you're in the gym. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I had a, I had a. This is questions from a friend. They love their lifting, lifting wraps, and their okay. knee wraps. And uh, they sometimes I walk in, looks like they're a mummy in the gym. <laughs> They've got that many wraps all over the body. Do you, do you work with wrap like lifting wraps or knee wraps and things like? Do you recommend that sort of uh, lifting equipment? With my athletes, we don't. Yep. Um, oh, they use straps. Um, for deadlifting and stuff like that but okay. we, we don't tend to use wraps much i wouldn't say i mean like, that's obviously a standard piece of equipment for a power lifter when mm. they're going to maximal like they're trying to do their one rep max or whatever in competition um and i actually don't with my athlete group we don't use belts either or try and avoid it if they do use belts it would be like we would use the 
say for instance for squatting or deadlifting they'd, they'd do the majority of their sets and then we just introduce a belt if we were going to do like their real heavy heavy one, heavy, heavy lifts and yeah. not that i've used ever used um wraps but that would probably be my recommendation for um power lifters or people who wanted to use wraps you know try and do your main yeah. main main bulk of your work without it and then just add them in for your your real sort of two to three big sets a, yeah. a lot what of do you do um Sorry? What does a rap do? Oh, Hal, are you here? Oh, Hal, I forgot yeah, about yeah. you. Good morning, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> How can we forget about big Hal? What, what, did, you, did you have a question? Yeah, what's a rap? What is it? A rap. Oh, like you're lifting have you seen wrist, wrist wraps, wraps, knee wraps. Knee wraps. B- basically, they try to um, um, stabilize your joints, you know, right. so um, you're not getting any um, okay. incorrect movement of your wrist, for I example. Thought, I thought when you said like a belt, I thought you meant like it was extra weight on it. Like no, no, like a, like a, a weightlifting belt. Yeah, okay. So what a weightlifting belt allows you to do is... Um, in powerlifting specifically, is when you push against it, it allows you to create this ex, um, extra um, abdominal pressure. So it stabilizes your um, your core, but allowing you to lift a bit more weight. The problem is a lot of people don't have this initial core strength. You know, they become too reliant on the belt. Um, I My preference is to always train with the belt because if you're using it correctly, then you're, you're going to be engaging your, your core. Mm. But um, A lot you know, of it's correct breathing techniques. Exactly. So. so a lot of people start off um, and just don't, use a belt correctly and then they don't build this um, core strength and they're just using the belt to kind of rescue them, you know? Um, so, uh, so for me working with a sport like rowing where like we're just chatting to your your boss outside, his daughter's got a, a sore lower back at the moment, yeah. like it's quite standard in rowing. Like, so this area is really important. Mm. So that, that's the main reason I, I we tend not to use the belt with, with the girls because I'm like, I really want this to be rock solid because this has got to stabilize them for yeah. thousands and thousands of strokes a week in training. Mm. Like driving the legs and pulling with their arms and the, the cause the sort of connector between the two um yeah but i i, I i'm not against using that belts personally yeah and you know it depends on what you're trying to achieve as well you know specifically for powerlifting if you're going to be That's lifting right, with yeah. a belt you you're know, going to lift in competition with a belt exactly, sure, yeah. it's going to give you more numbers with uh, i know everyone's different everyone's genetics are different <clears throat> if i'm training in the one to five rep range is it still possible to put on muscle like i look at someone like darren who's a powerlifter mm-hmm. he's got a huge chest and and you're working in very very low rep ranges like were you able to build that through powerlifting or was that a result of uh, earlier years of bodybuilding well, style guess, training you know or when, when i first entered well. the gym it was all about bench and biceps <laughs> 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 um, but um you know, it comes back to the principle. So if you're still getting sufficient volume um, and you're getting this mechanical tension, then you, you're going to be building some muscle. So, yeah. so like five five lots of five? Yeah, so that's 25, three lots of eight is 24. So, yeah. you know, like that's a way you can increase your intensity but still hmm. keep building load. And, and it, I would say it does depend a bit on the genetics. and Yeah. yeah but, but you don't see too many, like most powerlifters, I mean, you get the big heavyweights who might carry a bit of a gut on them, for oh, instance, yeah. but they're still pretty... St- stank like if you look at the size of the legs and their arms you know yeah. you can yeah. still get mass yeah and um like obviously when you first start training you put on mass fairly quickly and you, you get a great response up front and then over time it sort of plateaus off for an experienced lifter a, say a few years into their their training how much muscle mass can they expect i know it's going to be different for everyone but how much muscle mass can they expect to put on in say a year like you hear of all these people i uh, oh, put on 10 kilos of muscle this year how much of that was muscle mm. like what what what's a sort of an expected yeah that's a hard question it to is, so yeah um i mean you they, people can do some pretty amazing mm. things don't get me wrong you, see, you often see a young well this going back to a young player but young rugby league player like they play one season and then start of the next season and suddenly like jacked. five months later and you're like yeah. what happened to him or something <laughs> yeah but like by sort of prioritizing it in your training maybe doing a little bit less aerobic work um getting really good nutrition on board and like calorie the overall amount of calories we're getting on board is really important Mm. um you can get some pretty amazing gains now obviously as you get older and more trained that becomes more challenging but yeah it's people can do it it's pretty amazing and even i've been blown away with some of the the athletes i've worked with you know we like i said earlier 16 sessions a week like probably 11 aerobic sessions a week that really should put a pretty big dent in your ability to gain muscle mass but mm. they still do it like it wouldn't be 10 15 kilos but we might get two or three kilos on in a year four kilos in a year which i still think is pretty good mm. yeah for a female athlete group doing that amount of volume of training yeah that's yeah. pretty impressive yeah. yeah and that's probably my next question leads into my next question is how much does cardiovascular training at either a low or a high intensity 
affect your body's ability to to gain muscle i know this is probably linked heavily to nutrition and recovery and things like that as well but is, it, is it, there it can have a fairly profound sort of impact actually so mm. so when when we like we have this whole um the way we adapt to a strength session and the way we adapt to an endurance session are two completely different ways. Mm. And basically endurance training blunts your ability to adapt to a, a strength session. So if we've got, say, someone who's just in the gym who's probably going there, wants to put on muscle mass but just wants to stay healthy and fit as well, that's where you probably need to sort of plan your training sensibly. So separating those aerobic sessions from your strength sessions. If you wanted to do them on the same day, I would suggest sort of having up to six hours between so it might be a, a run before work and then do your main yeah. weight session after work and then and then get some good nutrition on and you can recover through the night um but yeah it can have pretty profound effects so it's really quite tough for these endurance and i guess endurance athletes genetically are a bit different as well right yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're good at those events because they've got large amount of slow twitch fibers which tend to be harder to get um, mass gains on mm. so um yeah so it, it I, th- I think that would be one recommendation I would have for people who are specifically trying to gain mass, but still trying to do all all different kinds of training in their in their training program. I would say maybe just drag back your your aerobic volume a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Would you you would do you do much aerobic work? Um, I well, I've been doing uh, a bit of strength. I mean, a bit of sprint training recently. Yeah. So um, I guess that's my uh, reference. Uh, yeah. it, it kind of builds that um, cardiovascular fitness a bit without. Um, you know these long uh, steady state cardio. Yeah. yeah. How long are your sprint sessions? Um, not not too long. Like the the sprints itself, probably you know two one hundreds, two fifties, two twenty fives. That's about it. Mm. Yeah, we're gonna have a race, Hal. Don't worry. All right, I'll race you. <laughs> Duran Duran fancies himself as a bit of a speedster, so. Oh, these legs are made for running, not waddling. <laughs> Um, you got you got any questions, Hal? As well, as someone that, a twelve year old that's just got into <laughs> lifting. Thirteen, thank you. <laughs> um, I had a question about when you're talking about ten by tens. Oh um, yeah. Do you stick to one minutes between? Uh, oh, good question. Sets? Yeah. Because I I usually aim for two to three. If I'm going six to twelve reps, I aim for two to three minutes rest. Rest between sets. Rest between yeah. sets. So that that's specifically for that German volume training. That you would use one minute, or yeah. I mean, you can manipulate how you want but the recommendation is one minute um i I think this is interesting i actually read up on this the other day because i was a bit like oh i don't know what the recommendations Mm. are now because bodybuilders would often use 30 to 60 seconds between sets and the idea is that you build up that metabolic stress but the the counter to that is that obviously because you're not recovering properly your your mechanical load goes down because you can't lift the same amount so um i think probably one to two minutes one to two and a half minutes which is actually longer than I would have thought. Most most of the time, I'd have always used one minute. Um, so big for me, big compound lifts like squats, pull ups, bench. I would give longer recovery because it's yeah. just more stressful. So that'd be two, maybe two minutes. Two, two so minutes sometimes 30. I rest and for then, five minutes plus. You yeah, know, between yeah, yeah. Well, for squats, big lifts, yeah. you would. But then maybe maybe your isolation work, your single arm work, your hmm. your sort of single joint stuff. Maybe you can bring that down to thirty to sixty seconds there. So uh, yeah, that would be my answer. To that longer breaks for big movements and, and shorter breaks for single How long is objectively too long? Like 10 minutes, 15 minutes? <laughs> How long, How long for do you have for high, to well, I think this is where you've got to look at the, the principles How we're talking about. Know, he, he likes to walk around the gym and chat up all the young girls <laughs> in the gym. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, the, by having a longer break, you're reducing your metabolic stress. So that's one of your stimuli that you're trying to promote to get that adaptation. So... Um, I, I would say for hypertrophy, no more than probably three minutes. But for for maximal strength work, you want to you're not really worried about the metabolic stress, so you want to be completely recovered for your next set. So you would have up five minutes, maybe even longer between sets. There. So, so you kind what of are you doing in between sets for you? What are you doing in those five minutes? I get so bored. Like for me, I'm a, I'm about a minute <laughs> and probably a little bit longer on the heavy lifts. But what are you doing? Are uh, you stretching? Are you? Is that recommended? No, just pacing up and down and <laughs> look like a crazy person. <laughs> no, um, you actually, you actually, it's actually quite, um, quite, um, you know, intense when you lift heavy. So um, you actually, you know, panting and actually recovering. And you know, when you feel ready after this five minutes or so, then you're ready to hit it. Put some music on, and you know. <laughs> Um, everybody has their own um, own thing that they do, but yeah, I just yeah. Hal likes the shadow box in between sets, yeah, and he, and he goes <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, 
should people be stretching prior to workouts? Or th- there's so much debate about this, and I, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the advice at the moment is like some dynamic kind of mobility kind of exercise is the way sort of people are recommending. I mean, I don't think it's going to do you, especially like actually, if if your mobility is a problem to get in position, so say you can't get into a deep squat without doing some static stretching and stuff like that. Well, it makes sense to me yeah. that you would do that to improve your technique and help help get you into better positions. If you if you move really well anyway and you can get into position, oh, the recommendations really some dynamic mobility work. So, so things like body weight squats, lunges, leg swings, lateral lunges and yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, and then, and then I'd always part of my warm up. We'd have some a dynamic mobility component, then some activation component. So, some exercises where maybe trying to switch, switch the glutes on or a scap stabilizers. Mm. Do you just, do you recommend activation um, sort of warm ups for for every strength conditioning workout? I, I would. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it helps. And then and the other thing with a warm up is that just mentally getting yourself into the right position. So. Yeah. What we're going to train now, you know. So a lot of people are sort of just warming up that muscle group that they might be training. But I know for you, you were talking about it recently the opposing muscle groups, like on a bench, for example, you're activating your traps and your, your rhomboids and all that sort of stuff. A lot of people don't think about that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, you know, focusing on these dynamic um, um, warm ups, like I was specifically saying that I do kettlebell swings before benching to you know um, open up this whole um, scapula region, and um, I think um, I think it's quite. Um, it's quite quite important, you know, what you what you warm up on, and also the other side of that is you don't want to warm up too much, you know, you only have a certain amount of em- energy. You want to save it for your actual um, warm up. So just do um, whatever's sufficient to you know get you into this mobility, get your you know your heart rate up, get your uh, you know your mind right, get um, your muscles activated and things. So. Mm. My warm up has become longer than my actual workout yeah, these yeah. days. I'm getting that <laughs> old. <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah. Well, I, I, I do yoga every morning as well, so um, it oh. kind of puts me into a a nice little. Uh, Makes you feel bad, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he does. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything. Else. One of my favorite clips from the old NBA highlights is um, Greg Popovich in the uh, one of the All Star games. He's talking to Tim Duncan when he's getting a bit older. In the second quarter, he's like, "I'm going to put you in the fourth. You better start warming up." <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's one of the things. Like, I'm not a huge American football fan, but it's one of the things that people talk about Tom Brady, right? That he's just been meticulous throughout his whole career with. Yeah. His preparation and, and doing the little things really well. So hmm. yeah, think, just yeah. looking after his body. Yeah, yeah all well, those things become super important. You don't think about it when you're young. I never used to and I wish I did. Would have saved myself a lot of injuries and and whatnot. But uh yeah, I think I think a good warm up's super important. Yeah, for sure. I think um I think we've covered all the, the major questions. Did we have any listener questions? We do have a few. Um first one's from Pat Graham. He says, um, what sport will help you build the most muscle if you don't plan on exercising outside of that sport? So building muscle without exercising outside of the sport. So I guess we'll come back to load. I think that would be the main thing. How, how can we? you do a sport that's going to give you enough load, hmm. strength load to produce muscle mass? So I would guess things like a combat sports where you're actually pulling and pushing um, moving people around um, and, and contact sports. So like rugby, like rugby people will get stronger by doing rugby for sure. Yeah, um, moving bodies like, around is yeah. effectively moving weight. weight that's yeah. right. Gymnastics, I guess, is another good one. Like where people are moving yeah. their own body weight. Mm. That would um, be my number one. Gymnastics. You look yeah. at those guys. They've probably never been in a weights room yeah. or minimal time in a weights room. And they're all. They're all pretty jacked. Yeah. Yeah. They're all pretty big. And that, that would be a recommendation for me, sort of. Um, young children to get in doing some gymnastics at an early age and mm. working on those balance and moving their body weight and um, body awareness and all those things. It's, a, it's, it, it's funny. I say the exact same thing to everyone. Gymnastics is should be your starting point for any kids looking to get into sport. That should be mm. sort of the first... They can do their sport along with gymnastics. Yeah. But I've seen it in my house. My daughter does gymnastics. Yeah, you my brought her in. She's doing cartwheels all around yeah, the office. Yeah, he's doing everything. <laughs> and um, my son doesn't. And my daughter actually carries a lot more. I hope my son doesn't listen to this one day, but <laughs> my daughter carries so much more muscle um, than my son. My son's mm. sort of a skinny little thing. You might be going through a bit of a growth spurt, but my daughter's like this little ball of muscle. Yeah. And I, I attribute it all to, to gymnastics yeah, from the age of two onwards. Mm. Yeah. 
gymnastics is awesome. Yeah, builds a great foundation. Great push up and oh yeah, she's so strong. Yeah. Yeah, so Super strong. I think that's an advantage when they're light. Start moving your mm. sort of moving your body weight when you're light. So as you get bigger, you just move with it, right? Yeah, yeah that's it. So I think I think the answer to the question is really just find activities or sports that are loaded. Rock climbing probably be oh, a good one. Oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. be the hardest sport in the world. <laughs> Any other listener questions, Hal? Yeah. Um, Stacy Appamata says, how often should I change up my workout? I think we touched on this briefly earlier. Yeah. yeah. I think we, we, did. we covered it. But yeah, you know, focusing on the principles, I guess. Yeah, so I think are two things really. One, if you're, you're sort of just committed to gains, like you don't change your workout that much until you've stopped improving. But I mean, I understand that people are going to the gym and they want things to be interesting mm. and fun and like obviously varying exercises is one way to change that up. So most most of my programs, depending on the way the way the season's put together and what the, the coach is doing on, on the, for the rowers on the water, I would probably four to five week blocks and then be looking to... Keeps it, it fresh as well. Yeah. The mental aspect of going yeah. in longer than that, doing the same thing, yeah. so week so in, week out. It, it's your, your body might still be sort of making gains, but mentally you're just fried. You're just like I'm just so sick of doing the same so, stuff. So maybe maybe you keep your key exercises the same, and you play around with your supplementary exercises. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's a good way of working. That can tick both boxes. That's know. that's pretty much how how I approach it as well. Yeah. You know, I always keep squats and deadlifts and bench up in there. But um, what I do at the end of it, uh, always experiment. Yeah. Well, that's just sport, isn't it? Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, any other list of questions or is that it? Last one from Nabil, Nabil Muhammad says, how many meals per day should I be eating to gain muscle? Hmm. That's all I got. I don't so, who's the expert on that one? Uh, I guess, um, you know, there's there's many different approaches that bodybuilders have taken over the years. Um, I was just watching something with Ronnie Coleman yesterday and he was saying, you know, at his peak, he used to eat six massive meals a day, um, wake up in the middle of the night to eat and... Um, you know, but on on the other side of that, you do see people that gain significant amounts of muscle with only eating, you know, standard three meals or even two meals per day. So, you know, it comes back to, you know, ensuring your, um, if you remember our pyramid of nutrition, which you talked about in the past, you know, the base of the pyramid is always your macronutrient balance. You have to, I mean, um, your energy balance. So you have to make sure you have sufficient calories in your diet to build um, some mass. Next up is, um, you know, your macronutrients, making sure you get enough protein, carbs, fat, any micronutrients and then you know things like frequency and timing at the tip of the pyramid so I don't know, yeah i don't know if you touched on that with sal on the last podcast but like i think it's become so with athletes the more regular eating is what's pushed timing of nutrition around training sessions yeah um and i guess we haven't really spoken about it much and probably not my direct area of expertise but these guys they need to have be if you want to put on muscle mass you need to be eating more you've got to create a positive energy balance to be able yeah. to do those and it's very hard it's possible but it's very hard to sort of put on mass while losing mass if you know what I mean like yeah. Yeah. it's hard to put on muscle you ex- expect to put on a bit of fat yeah, yeah. So, unless, unless you're I mean unless you're if you're a real novice sort exactly. of thing you're particularly overweight I'll have you know if you have quite a high amount of protein it, it is possible to um, you know do that but you know the, yeah. the most efficient way is to make sure you're getting sufficient sure. calories yeah. a little bit of extra additional calories not too much, so that you're actually putting on too much body fat. Depending yeah. on what you sport and your yeah. goal is, I guess. Yeah, you, know, you want the dirty bulk. <laughs> but anywhere between three and six meals a day would probably be a, a broad answer on that one. Good stuff. That's all I've got there. Sports topics. Yeah. Sports is we're getting back to sports. sports I feel like things yeah. are getting uh, got my back Premier to League jersey on. When you does know? Premier League kick off? It starts this week. Yeah. Yep. So excited. Thursday our, morning. Our yeah. boy Matty Ryan has just flown back over to the UK to prepare. Yeah. Get ready for the first game. Yeah, Br- Brighton's in the thick of it. You know, it's going to be uh, really fun uh, into the season. But uh, NRL's back. AFL is back. Yeah. The UFC never stopped. Yeah, Rob Whitaker, you know. Well, Rob so, Whitaker just announced his next fight. Yeah, on Fight Island in Dubai. Is that where it is? Abu Dhabi? Dubai? Abu Dhabi. Sorry, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Um, fight yeah. Island, yeah. yeah. Crazy. I know. He's fighting Darren Till from the UK. Yeah. It'd be, be a good fight. Huge both fight, good guys, you know? both similar styles, very aggressive. Comes back to the old England versus Aussie rivalry, you know. I know. So it's going to be pretty good. It'd be a fun one. They've had some fun, funny <laughs> banter on, on social media, so we're looking forward to that fight for sure. Yeah. Shout out to Rob. He's got this one. Well, so excited to see Rob back in action. Well, I'm English and Australian, so I'll take the winner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's going on in sports, Hal? 
Well, that was my first announcement. It was Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till, but I think we're all excited to hear that. He, where did he announce it? He announced it on our uh, Twitch, didn't he? Yeah, on uh, we play. <laughs> for those that missed it, check out Rob Whitaker's um, Twitch channel or Masashi's Twitch channel. We, uh, myself and Rob had a bit of a, a battle on the UFC 3 game on PlayStation the other day. And at the end of the Twitch feed, he um, he dropped the, when he's fighting. I think it was common knowledge anyway, yeah. but it was, yeah, officially announced. Other than that, um, first topic I guess we'll touch on is uh, the first AFL game back uh, was described as a bit of a flop. 36 all. 36 Well, who was that? I didn't... Didn't even see that. There's been that much sport. I mean, trying to catch up on. Um, I, I didn't actually catch it either. I think it was um, Richmond, Richmond and Collingwood. Yeah. Richmond and Collingwood, thirty six all. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't call it a flop. You know, sports back is, is, is good, and you know, so many people are so many things to adapt to. You know, every playing in front of no crowd, playing you know in all these new coronavirus restrictions and things. They've got a crowd. There's the cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Did you pay to have your cardboard cutout there? Nah, but my, might pay to put hell there, but because you know, <laughs> usually, usually he'd block some views behind him. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's going to take a few weeks for these guys to get back in the swing of things, so we can't be too hard on them. Just had a couple of months off with limited training yeah. and and connection with their teammates. It's going to take a while for them to gel again and and get the flow of the game back. So. I I think we I think they get a pass at this point. It's it's just good to see sport back. Yeah, and I guess the next topic is the NRL, who are a couple of weeks ahead of you know the AFL. So it's been really interesting and super unpredictable. You know, yeah. like um, it's just people adapting to this new way of life. And you know, I'm a, I'm a Warriors fan, so Warriors are, are doing pretty well. Uh, better better than people thought they'd come back to do. So uh, well, the Melbourne Storm had a win on the weekend, and they had a, a bit of a bad. Welcome back to the the game as well. They didn't really. Yeah, they lost their first game back, but since then they've been looking pretty unstoppable. You know, our, our ambassador Cameron Monster has been turning it up, so killing it. Yeah, yeah, it's good good to have sports back. But yeah, it has been hard with the footy tips. It's hard to hard to predict. <laughs> yeah, how are you going with your footy tips? Um, you leading. Yeah, well, my strategy of always picking the Warriors is you know helping me. But <laughs> Mate, uh, you're an Australian. That's, man. A, I mean, bad that's yeah. a bad strategy. <laughs> <laughs> What else is happening, Hal? Uh, my last topic is um, ScoMo has announced that stadiums with 40,000 capacity and less will be reopening for crowds to watch the footy. When? Uh, I'm there. I wasn't sure, but soon. Soon. I think August, which is the same time they're planning on opening up clubs and scrapping the 50-person club capacity. Oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to head straight to the club or are you going to oh, go to a game? Oh, club. <laughs> club? What's wrong with yeah. you? <laughs> a game, then the club. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, pretty exciting. Actually, my friends in New Zealand sent a few snaps in the weekend and, you know, obviously New Zealand has no restrictions now mm. and it was a full stadium for the rugby. It was pretty crazy to see. Um, yeah, I think I think the players would be welcoming crowds back. I think it adds that extra layer of, I don't know, motivation, atmosphere and it just without the crowds. It I actually quite like the fake crowd in the NRL. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we debated this the other day. Yeah. The, the fake crowd is so ridiculous. It's so good. It, I don't know how they make it. Like they just, <laughs> It just changes with the momentum. You hear this cheering and then the, the camera's panning and there's just no one there. It just doesn't, it doesn't equate in my head. I yeah. know why they do it. Yeah, but it I, don't know, I love it. <laughs> um, what's your sport of choice? Oh, pretty, uh, just, yeah. pretty built yourself. You look like you've been training <laughs> for a long time. So. Not so much recently. Um, <laughs> no, my sports were football, soccer, um, and I stopped playing that about five years ago, and cricket, which cricket? Yeah. I would be playing now, but um, I'm working on Saturdays at the moment, so it's making it a bit difficult. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're my two sports. And yeah. you get in the gym a bit. Are you, do you Are you sick of the gym, actually training everyone? Do you still find time for yourself? I would say my training is go through phases. Yeah. It's been very good, <laughs> and then not so good. Um, um, so I, the the start of um, lockdown, I took a few things from the gym and I was training pretty well. And as the as the period went on, it I started running more and more and doing less and less weights. But um, I'm looking forward to getting back in the gym next week, hopefully. Yeah. And yeah, I think just physically going to a gym and not working out at home, I've, that's what I've kind of taken for yeah. granted. As you know, I've been working out hard, but just physically being somewhere else makes a difference. Yeah. 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 It's, I well, know, I suppose you train at home. Most I train at home, but I've been doing it for years and years now. But initially, that was that was hard. It's mm. it's almost like the the trip to the gym, being at a different place. It sort of sets your mood. Where and but and being at home, you're still in that home mood. So you're sort of still yeah. slouching around. 
I'm still answering my kids' questions while I'm trying to train and the missus is banging on the floor, stop banging weights and <laughs> things like that. But um, eventually you get used to it. I think you've got to be pretty motivated and hold yourself to account ready, don't you? So yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, have we got a famous athlete we do. quote? Uh, We're hopeless at it, so I'm relying on you to get this today. This is, um, this is a, a favourite uh, athlete of mine, and he says, success isn't owned, it's leased, and the rent is due every day. That I, sounds cheesy. I've definitely <laughs> heard this before. What is it? Success isn't... Success isn't owned, it's leased, yep. and the rent is due every day. Success isn't owned, it's leased, and the rent is due every day. I'm going to go LeBron James. Baby. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just knew it. I, I knew it would be a hard-working athlete. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's huge. a good one. Well, Conor McGregor was talking uh, late last year about how LeBron James, his investment in nutrition really inspired him to, to build on his own health. Because LeBron James, I think, invests millions of dollars in his personal nutrition every year. And that's why he's 35 years old and having the best career, uh, the best year of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a big difference, yeah. nutrition and yeah, work ethic. Work. And hey, that's something else I know we've sort of covered off all the other topics. Recovery. Recently, like ice baths and saunas and things like that are becoming more and more popular. Do any of your athletes use any of those recovery techniques or they're good? Well, not at the moment. We don't have yeah. either available to them in the centre. But um, like I would come back to the, the key things for me for recovery, which is food, mm-hmm. sleep, sleep, yeah. rest, yeah. Um, which... I've always had a bit of a frustration with the ice bath thing because I think people, oh, we're jumping in the ice bath, that's my recovery done, really. Yeah, and that's, yeah. you know, that's quite low down the list of mm. key things for me. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a bit of conjecture about ice baths because yeah. um, mm. the whole idea with the ice bath is that you can recover quickly to be able to put out another performance. So in competition, mm. probably really useful, especially sort of someone mm. like a sport, like say hockey or a World Championships, and they play pretty much every day, or for sure you'd be getting them in the ice bath, allowing them to be. But for, from a training perspective and being able to adapt, yeah. uh, part of the process of adaptation is you're going into a bit of a, the stress. Of a deficit, yeah. like, and then you adapt to that. So mm. by by um, jumping into an ice bath, the, the thoughts are that you reduce the actual stress that's mm. been placed on the body, and then you don't get the same adaptation. So. Um, depend. So I, I think it needs to be used wisely, and when you utilise it, it needs to be planned out and thought thought through about if you if you do want to use it within a week, what sessions do you use it after? What sessions don't you use it after? Yeah, yeah. and yeah, we've touched on that in the past with Matty Ryan. You know, he's also saying he um, jumps into a, a bit of an ice bath as well sometimes after games, and you know, using it strategically is quite important. But mm. you definitely do want to blend blunt that training stress. I think a few of the professional athletes that do multiple sessions a day can benefit from it. Um, but y- but you do like if you're just the average guy that goes to the gym, y- you want that you want that stress. Yeah, you want that. It's called uh, hormesis, the adaptation. Yeah, you talk about it quite a bit. Yeah, it's the most important thing. But <laughs> now um, onto our final quote of the day, our Miyamoto Musashi quote. So you know we always end Ooh, with yeah. this philosophical quote from the greatest samurai of all time. And try confuse to me again, dear. We tr- try to apply it to what we talked about today. So um, the quote today is the part that leads to truth is littered with the bodies of the ignorant. I think it's pretty applicable, you know. Plenty of guys jump in the gym, train to failure every day, um, and figure out pretty quickly that that's not the way to the top. I yeah. think, I, yeah, that's good. Can I actually just say something about failure? I'll just yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily the, a wrong thing to yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, like, And especially if you're losing low loads, we should be training to failure. Um, but my recommendation would be not to, not to train to failure every set, Every exercise, all the time. So sometimes when my, my athletes are in hypertrophy phase, we will train to failure, mm. but only on the last set. So if we do four sets of eight or whatever, it'll be the last set. We're like, okay, if you can push out to 10 or to 11 or whatever, right. we'll do that. But yep. we won't be doing it every set. And we'll probably only do it for a couple of exercises right. in a session. If you did do it, did want to do it regularly for every exercise, that's where I definitely think you need to have a, a light week somewhere along mm. the process or you don't do it for extended periods of time. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Good quote, Darren. Yeah. I got nothing to add on that quote. Nothing to add on it. Not no. really. I think you covered it pretty, pretty quickly. Well, yeah, you know, plenty of people do do training and uh, you know conditioning the wrong way, but um, it's about understanding the principles and you know experimenting on what works for it's yourself. A, it's a learning process. I think we all do it the wrong way in the beginning, yeah. and there's and that's the way you do learn by making all the, all the mistakes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. hopefully, we 
helped bypass a lot of mistakes today and you can your your training is effective i want to thank david from new south wales institute of sport for coming in thanks so much it's always great to have uh, professionals like you experts in in this area rather than us two just coming in here with our bro science <laughs> it's actually it's good to get real science so i want to thank you for coming in hopefully you'll be able to come in again in the future sure. yeah. um we can talk about some, a different topic maybe uh, something strength uh, or power related mm. or sport specific yeah, maybe sure. rowing yeah um that'd be awesome well thanks for having me on yeah, it's yeah. been it's been our pleasure. Yeah. Um, anyone that wants to submit a listener question, you can do so podcast at masashi dot com, or you can DM us on Instagram, Facebook, anywhere there. Anyone that leaves a review, we'll get a free T shirt. We'll send that out to you. And also, if you want to listen to the audio version, head over to Apple iTunes or Spotify or any other audio um, streaming service. Anything else to close off on? How you got any wise words for us to finish on? Okay, we're out. Until next time. Thanks. We'll see you again. Thank you. Out.